Welcome to the One Life Podcast, where we have rare but vital conversations about Jesus. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the One Life Podcast. One Life is a startup church here in Nashville, Tennessee. Our mission is to build extended families of disciples that live on mission together. I am Tiffany Ketchum, and here with me is my husband and co-host, Tim Ketchum. Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening in today. We're on episode number 60. I think this is our first episode that breaks with the numerology. Like we're on chapter 40 and 41, but the episode number is... (laughs) Well, in the past like three, Yeah, we've had a... Some synchronization going on. Yes, we've had some synchronization, but thankfully we're out of that. (laughs) (laughs) No more weird... Thanks for bringing it up. Interpretive assertions about that. So we're in the middle of the story of Joseph and Genesis, and we have a long story here to get through today. Is there anything we need to set up, Tim, before we jump into it? I think I would just say that Joseph has already been in a position of authority and leadership within Potiphar's house. And so this house, he is the captain of the guard. So it's kind of a big deal because he's a military personnel and he's the captain of the guard. So he's pretty high and he's been in a position of leadership within within this high-ranking person's house already. And we're about to get into, he's already been accused by Potiphar's wife of you know, making a inappropriate advance to her, and he's been thrown into prison, which is actually at Potiphar's house. The The prison is somehow connected to Potiphar's house, the, the complex that I was going to say, maybe not, yeah, not house as, like, as in like three bedroom, <laughs> yeah, two it's, bath. It's down the hall on the right. Um, <laughs> apparently, Potiphar, no. as captain of the guard, lives in a big complex, and the prison is actually located somewhere on that complex. And so it's not like he's been relocated to some random place in Egypt. He's still in vicinity of Potiphar and all of that. So, But one thing I would say is that as I've been reading through Joseph, reading through the story of Joseph is kind of like watching a really good movie over and over again. And each time you watch it, there's something that jumps out at you and you're like, oh my goodness, I didn't, ever, I didn't see that before. Hmm. And that's what it's been like to read through this story. It's There's so much here that you could literally keep going through it over and over again. But we're, of course, not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> going through it one time and not hitting on everything. That's right. But did you mention that he also became in charge of the prison almost? Like he was put, yes, put I mean, in charge and, and over certain prisoners? Yeah. I mean, basically Potiphar took a sabbatical and by proxy made Joseph the captain of the guard. He he made him ruler over everything because he saw that everything that Joseph did prospered and that the Lord was with him. And so Potiphar, as a wise man, said, well, if it goes so great under him, why would I get in there and mess it up? So Joseph, why don't you just lead everything and I'll I'll consult you and whenever Pharaoh needs something, I'll act as if I'm the one who's making things great. (laughs) (laughs) Which is pretty incredible because he's a prisoner, yet he's still kind of in charge. That's right. He's yeah. been put in a position. Yeah, the, the the captain of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners. And everything is going great with all the prisoners. And so it, it regardless of where Joseph goes, he's being promoted into positions of leadership and everything seems to go keenly when he's in those positions because the Lord is with him 
and the favor of the Lord is, is upon him. Okay, so let's keep going through Joseph's story. He is in prison, but he's kind of in charge of some other prisoners. And that's where we jump in here at Genesis 40. Yeah. And, but, and but we're not going to read all of it. It's, no. It's a couple of chapters that we're kind of getting through today. We're going to fast track this story. We're going to narrate it as condensely but accurately as possible. So basically a cupbearer or what they call a butler and a baker show up in the prison. Somehow the cupbearer made Pharaoh angry and so did the baker. And they both have a dream and Joseph comes in to tend to them and notices that they're depressed and he asks them, hey, what's going on? And they share this dream and Joseph gives them the interpretation of the dream. And apparently the cupbearer had a dream of some grapes and he squeezed the grapes and the grapes turned into wine and it dropped into Pharaoh's cup and then he served Pharaoh the cup of wine. And Joseph is like, well, let me tell you what that means. Uh, God is going to give you the interpretation of, of this dream. So first of all, he credits God with the interpretation. Always crediting God. Yes, w- which is a sign of spiritual maturity in him. And not only that, he obviously has a relationship with him. He has some kind of connection with God. Yes, he, he is aware that the only reason why he is advancing and making progress and arriving in these, in these influential positions is that the Lord is with him. And so he knows God is the one who's doing all this, and he gives God credit, and he says, hey, this is the interpretation of the dream. You're going to be restored in three days. You're going to be restored back to a cupbearer, and you're going to serve Pharaoh wine, and everything's going to be good. But the baker's dream is that he made some bread and put the bread in a basket on his head, and birds came and took the bread out of the basket. And Joseph is like, "Uh uh-oh, this is what's going to happen to you. You're not going to get restored. You're actually going to be killed in three days and the birds of the air are going to come and pick at your body. <laughs> Yikes. So uh, turns out after three days, it happened exactly as Joseph said it would. But, you know, Joseph is in prison. He's not looking to stay there. So he says, hey, guys, can you just put in a good word for me whenever you get out, especially to the cupbearer? Like, don't, don't forget me. Yeah. At least when you get an opportunity, mention that Joseph is this cool guy. And, you know, how about getting him out of prison? Well, they, the cupbearer forgets about him, and two years goes by, and two years later, Joseph is still in prison, but then Pharaoh has a dream. Pharaoh's dream is about, you know, this is the famous part of Joseph's story, is that Pharaoh has a dream of seven fat cows that come up out of the Nile River. Now, this is important because... The Nile River was the, the quote-unquote lifeblood of the Egyptian e- uh, economy. And, and certain you know, times of the year, the Nile would flood. Uh, but all of their agrarian economy depended on the Nile. And so if the Nile did good, their economy did good. If the Nile flooded badly, you can think that it would basically kill all of the agrarian fields because you couldn't grow anything. It would kill off all the vegetation and whatnot. So... The cows come out of the river, and then after the seven fat cows come out, there are seven uh, famished cows, lean cows, like skinny as in pathetic looking. (laughs) And they actually come and eat the five fat cows, 
but they, it doesn't look like they ate anything. It, they're still famished and lean and pathetic looking. <laughs> Weird dreams. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, Pharaoh wakes up from the dream and he's like, hmm, this is strange. Well, then he goes back to sleep the next night and he has another dream. And this time it's a, a stalk of barley or wheat that has seven grains of head on it. And then that is followed by another stalk of grain that comes up that has seven like very puny heads. And the, the stalk of grain with seven puny heads devours the stalk with seven healthy heads of grain. Mm. And Weird. So it, it's kind of like similar to the fat cow's dream. You know, Pharaoh's like, man, this is creeping me out. Uh, the fact that it happened twice and it has to do with food. So he calls all of his magicians together, all of his, you know, soothsayers and occult practitioners. And he says, hey, give me an interpretation of the dream. But nobody can do it. Nobody has a clue what it is. And that's when the cupbearer says, oh, I know a guy. That's right. There's this guy two years ago who gave an interpretation of my dream and it came true. It was accurate. And so they go and get Joseph and bring him before Pharaoh. Pharaoh explains the dream. And then Joseph, again, two years later, he hasn't grown bitter. He hasn't grown cynical. He has not grown angry or hard towards God. I'm sure he had his days, but yes. Yeah. Overall, he was... Uh, oh, yeah, overall, he is not he's like jump ship. With God. Yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah, yeah, I, I don't want to paint it too romantically, like he's perfect. <laughs> I'm sure he had some depressive episodes in prison for two years. Perfectly uh, happy all the time. Yeah, you know, singing songs in prison. <laughs> Overall, his posture towards God has not been, well, screw you. you, you've obviously forgotten about me. When he stands before Pharaoh, he says again, God will give you the interpretation of this dream. And I mean, in the moment, okay, like, God gave Joseph a download right then and there of the interpretation of the dream. And what's interesting is that the story doesn't actually say that. It doesn't say, and God revealed to Joseph that this is what it meant. It's like, no, the, Joseph is walking in communion with the Lord, and the Lord reveals the interpretation right after Pharaoh explains the dream. And just like that, in natural flow, Joseph explains the interpretation of the dream to Pharaoh. And he says, look, the, the seven fat cows are going to be seven years of plenty in the land of Egypt, but that's going to be followed by seven years of famine in which it'll be a very severe famine. And he says that's the same thing with the, you know, the stalks of wheat. They are the same dream. They're the same message. And he said what's, what's pretty remarkable is that Joseph says he gives him the interpretation of the dream and then... He basically tells Pharaoh what to do. <laughs> it's, it's pretty remarkable because he's, he's basically telling the ruler of the land of Egypt, and, and this is what you need to do. You need to get someone who's discerning and wise, set him over the land, uh, appoint officers under him that will be able to gather 20% of the food every year for seven years, and we're going to store that 20% of the food somewhere in storage so that we'll have some food to eat during the seven years of famine. And it's, it's almost like he is speaking in the spirit and he's being vi very directive to Pharaoh. Yeah. You call that confidence. He's a prisoner. That's right. Coming 
to Pharaoh, the king. Telling and, him what to do. Right. So he's obviously got a level of confidence in whatever he feels like God is telling him to say. He's, he, he's a classic pro- prophetic figure, speaking truth to power and uh, relying on his confidence in God while he's doing it. Or maybe he's thinking, well, what do I have to lose? I'm already in prison. <laughs> well, that's true. Like, I can't go any lower. I guess the, the lowest point I could get would be I'll be killed. Right. <laughs> but and no, ma- I think he is. He obviously has a confidence from God in this. Yeah, he's he's a very interesting person. And so what what's really interesting is, you know, we're going to jump in here at chapter 41, at, starting at verse 33. And it says, Now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. I do want to make a comment about this, these two terms, discerning and wise. The term discerning basically means able to differentiate, able to separate. And in leadership science literature today, they talk about differentiation, that a leader has to be able to differentiate themselves from those that they're leading, but they also have to be able to differentiate between good and bad or good and the best and, and not just people but uh decisions or yes decisions situations situation yeah they have to be able to sort of separate things categorize them name them and be able to discern and make a good decision between two options that they're presented with and then the word wise is not necessarily like you know the, the book of proverbs wise it's not like head knowledge it's more like skilled in process. It's skilled in a craft. In other words, this person needs to be experienced in knowing how things work. And so it's, it's a practical kind of wisdom that has to do with operations and making things. And so, you know, Joseph's saying, hey, you need to find somebody like that. Verse 34, let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh. You know, good little footnote there, Joseph. You mentioned that Pharaoh is the one in authority, (laughs) even though you're telling what to do uh, (laughs) while you're doing that. And let them keep food in the cities Then that food shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. Now, if I'm Pharaoh, I'm thinking, okay, this guy's been in my prison, and yet he is concerned about the land of Egypt not perishing. And if I'm a leader, I'm thinking, okay, this this person in prison is still for Egypt. He wants Egypt to be blessed. He wants Egypt to thrive and survive. But as a prisoner, he could have, you know, developed a very different kind of attitude toward towards Egypt. I hate y'all. Y'all, y'all put me in prison. Why would I do anything for you? But Joseph has this posture of that he's a channel of blessing, that the Lord is going to use him, you know, in this way. So ver- verse 37, so the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants, And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? Hey, Pharaoh recognizes that Joseph is being guided by the Spirit of Elohim, of God. I think it's kind of interesting here, too, that Joseph does not use the term Yahweh, because that would be the God of Israel. 
he's using a very generic term for God, and he feels no need to clarify that this is the God of Israel, that this is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He just says Elohim. Verse 39, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. In other words, Joseph, you've got the job. (laughs) You said we need to find somebody. I think you're that guy. Mm. You're the one who is discerning and wise. You shall be over my house and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. In other words, you're going to be second in command of Egypt. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Talk about a promotion. From the lowest of lows to literally the highest of highs that you can get. Yeah. Second in command only to Pharaoh. This is quite remarkable. Now, one of the things I, I would say by way of like a, a little nerdy footnote here is that there's a lot of language here that Pharaoh uses that is very, very similar, and some of it is identical to the language that God uses in Genesis 126 about man and woman ruling over and having dominion over. And so essentially Joseph is is stepping into this place of dominion and rulership that God has always intended for human beings to function in. But what's interesting, and one of the things we wanted to highlight here about Joseph's story here, is that Joseph has gone through a developmental process of being separated from his family to where he can only rely on God in that season of life. And then he gets promoted to a place of authority and rulership and dominion in Potiphar's house. Then when he goes into prison, he is promoted to a place of authority and leadership in prison. And now he's being promoted to another position of authority and leadership and responsibility. But if you kind of look back on his story, God has been progressively preparing him for this moment. Yeah, you were talking about Pharaoh looking for a discerning and wise man, but that the wisdom was more based off experience, uh, more practical wisdom. And we definitely see that in Joseph. He has had that experience of being over Potiphar's house and being put in charge of the prisoners. So he has been put in these situations over his life, like you said, I really like how you mentioned that he had only God really to rely on. And so he had to develop that relationship, but he's also been put in situations where God lifted him up to Mm. be in charge and to be over things and to get that experience that he needed because you can't just jump into from being sold by your brother's and this super dysfunctional family and jumping into this, you know, oh, okay, you're, you're second in command over all of Egypt. <laughs> like there's a lot that happens in there that really does develop him. Yeah, that's, a, that, that's so, I'm so glad you mentioned all that because it, it kind of highlights the context of Joseph's story, where he's coming from. And if we were to kind of script out and say, okay, you got to prepare some teenage kid to rule 
second in command, we'd be like, okay, we got to develop a leadership academy. We got to, you know, create this. Or be the president. <laughs> or be the president, yeah. <laughs> or vice president or something. It's, you know, our, our strategy for developing someone would be completely different than how God develops Joseph. And it, it, it truly is remarkable about how God prepares him to rule. And, and remember, that's the interpretive key for Joseph's story is that he has this dream that his brothers are going to bow down to him, and his brothers say, will you really rule over us? And this is a part of our, our vocational destiny as human beings, is to, is to exercise rulership and dominion as God's representatives, to steward and to lead and to be channels of blessing for the world. And this is something that that God does develop in us, but it, it he's going to develop it in his way. And in, no one would probably predict that he would develop Joseph in this way through all of this hardship, all of this difficulty, being betrayed by family, being falsely accused, ending up in prison. Like This is not the glorious developmental path of going through some kind of training program. <laughs> training program. Yeah, it, it's very different from what we would want the ways that we would want it to happen. But yet it produces in Joseph what he needs to live to his fullest potential, really, oh, in, yeah. in his life. Oh, yeah. That's good. that's a great way to say it. All right, so I think we're going to anchor this in a passage up in Luke chapter 2 and verse 52. It's probably a, a well-known verse for the churchified folk out there. And it's the verse that says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and people. And the reason why we're kind of anchoring this story of Joseph in that verse is because this highlights a developmental process that Jesus himself went through. And there's these different categories that he's growing in. He's growing in wisdom. And so there's that connection with Joseph, growing in wisdom and in stature essentially he's growing up you know from a a child to a teenager to you know he's he's increasing in his in his maturity uh, biologically physiologically but he's also increasing in favor with God and man this idea that Jesus had to go through a developmental process as well and we we don't really know all of his hardships that he faced between uh, you know childhood and adulthood and the scriptures don't reveal anything. They don't talk about it. But Jesus did grow up in an extended family. He did grow up in a village. And we'd be foolish to think that he did not face conflict or he did not experience rejection or suffering. And we don't know what his relationship with his extended family was like. There could have been an abusive uh, family member. All of these things are up for interpretation. They're up for consideration, but we don't know for sure. But, but we do know he was around other human beings. That's right. And in the nature of that, it's there's going to be difficult things yes. that happen. Yes, and his his response to those things, if you can think about Joseph, it's like, man, how does Joseph maintain the spirituality? He's by himself, and he's in this foreign land, and... You know, the, Joseph's spirituality is quite remarkable when you consider how isolated he was. That's true. And he's still holding on to this faith in God. And here we have Jesus, who is actually growing up in an Israelite family, 
in the land of Israel. He probably had access to a synagogue. That Jesus is also developing and nurturing his faith in God as a human being. And so Jesus and Joseph are both being prepared for leadership and for exercising rulership and dominion in God's kingdom so that they can be blessings to the nations. And of course, Jesus carries that vocation even further than Joseph did with Egypt. Joseph helps bless a a single nation just with their economy and food, whereas Jesus, of course, blesses the nations in more than just physical ways and spiritual as well. So, So yeah, we... We, we just kind of want to, wanted to highlight this developmental aspect today that God is still maturing. He's still meeting with people. He's maturing Joseph, and he's got this overarching game plan of blessing the nations. And Joseph is just a, an extended, detailed look into how God does that through one person and one nation. Yeah, it is remarkable. And isn't it interesting that Jesus did come as a baby and was had to go through that developmental process as a human being. And he didn't just jump in as a a human adult at, you know, the prime age. Just a quick practical thought. Maybe you're going through something or maybe you have a situation in your life or even a past situation that you just haven't quite, you can't quite grasp, like, what's the purpose of this or what, what could God actually do with this? I want to encourage you to look towards God and see what his perspective is on on that. See what has he developed in you through that or what is he developing through your situation right now. And just kind of turn to him and talk to him about that. Well, we definitely need to wrap it up. You know you want another notification on your phone. So (laughs) (laughs) hit that subscribe button. (laughs) Yeah, we appreciate you listening today. And we will catch you next time.